The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, my name is Tobias. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Christ the King. And this morning, I get the privilege of uh, continuing our study um, in the book of Joshua. And I got to tell you, after, after uh, Sunday school this morning, uh, and Caroline pointed us to uh, what the Apostle Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, and he reminded us that the Lord says, my, my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul went on to boast in his weakness, because when he's weak, then he's strong. Um, and and I, I was listening to this and I was like, well, my, my word, that's basically, uh, that's basically what Caleb represents to us in this, in this passage this morning. Um, it was beautiful. Uh, but uh, you may remember uh, that uh, last week, uh, Penny walked us through chapter 10 uh, of Joshua and, and we got to hear about uh, how uh, that wicked uh, ruler, Adonai Zedek, he led uh, five armies against the Israelites after the Gibeonite deception. And the Lord miraculously gave them victory. Remember, Joshua prayed that the sun and the moon would stand still, and they did. Uh, and the, the, the victory was so marvelous uh, that we hear the writer uh, of Joshua say, there has been no day like it. Uh, before or since, when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for the Israelites. Um, and this morning, we're going to skip over a few chapters, but let me just say a, a few things about them. As the narrative moves forward in chapters 10 and 11, we hear of the continued victories of Israel under Joshua in both the north and south of Canaan. And in chapter 12, we hear the writer rehearse a list of all the kings defeated by both Moses and Joshua. And then at the end of chapter 13, we hear him tell of how Moses distributed the land to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, um, east of the Jordan. And so when we come this morning to chapter 14, I think we're primed to hear about Joshua's allotment to the remaining nine and a half tribes west of the Jordan. In fact, um, the subheading, uh, the subtitle uh, um, in the ESV Bible over verses one through five, it actually says the inheritance west of the Jordan. And, and in the opening of verse six, it looks like this is just what we're going to hear about as the tribe of Judah approaches Joshua. But then something, I think, unexpected happens. And it seems to interrupt what Joshua's doing. An individual steps forth, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and he speaks up and he makes a personal request for land. What? <laughs> Who is this guy? He's not been mentioned in the book of Joshua before. And, and you know, this is serious business that they're doing. This is long-awaited 
things that they're attending to. God's people have been longing to take possession of their homeland ever since God had promised to give Abraham and his descendants a land. And they've had to endure numerous setbacks as they've journeyed. They've had to suffer 400 years of slavery in the land of Egypt and another 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But now, at last, much of the land has been conquered. And now is the time to divvy it up. And, and, and we can just imagine that all of the Israelites, they were just chomping at the bit to take possession of their portions, don't you think? But now this guy, with this request, what is going on? <laughs> well, let's go ahead and turn to Joshua 14. And let me read verse 6 through 15. <clears throat> Oops. Beginning in verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. While Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my, as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenesite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bow before you, creator of heaven and earth all-powerful, almighty, glorious. We magnify your name. We praise you. We ask, Lord, this morning that you will bless this reading of your word. We ask, Lord, that by your spirit you will open our eyes to hear your word afresh. We ask, Lord, that you will continue to wield your word as your sword that you will change us more and more into the likeness of our Savior. Oh, Father, may that be true. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
Amen. Well, some of you, some of you might be familiar with one of the more um, shock and surprise outlandish Irish tales told about the founding of Ulster, which is basically Northern Ireland. It's the story of the red or bloody hand of Ulster. I'm not seeing any nodding heads. This will be interesting. Well, as the story goes, the, the beautiful land of Northern Ireland was in need of a rightful heir. It needed a worthy claimant to its lands. And so the Druids, they devised this contest. They devised a sea race. And they said that whoever's hand first touches its shores would be worthy to take possession of it. And so a large group of rival chieftains, they set sail on the North Sea and they were in hope of claiming the land for themselves. And, and as the contestants struggled to make headway through the cold and choppy waters, two chieftains gained the lead. They were caught in an epic struggle to reach the land first. And as the legend goes, one of these chieftains was named Herman O'Neill. And as they rapidly approached the shore, even coming within yards of it, O'Neill, seeing that his rival had inched ahead of him and he would soon be victorious, he did something utterly unexpected. He stretched his hand on the ship's bulwark. He drew forth his sword and he lopped his hand off. And of course, all the sailors seeing this, they were aghast. His shipmates were stunned and, and his rival looking on, he was utterly bewildered. And, and before he could understand what was going on, O'Neill had reached down, he grabbed his bloody hand and he hurled it at the shore where it landed. And so O'Neill claimed possession of Northern Ireland. <laughs> I told you it was an outlandish story. I tell it to you this morning, uh, not because of its sim similarities with Caleb's request, but precisely because of the differences I think it highlights between Caleb's approach to the land and O'Neill's. You see, I think, I think it'd be easy for us to read Caleb's request through a bit of a cynical lens, as a sort of desperate, perhaps even selfish land grab ahead of the rest of the Israelites, kind of like but not nearly as gruesome O'Neill's last second hurling of his hand to claim Ulster for himself. And I, and I say that because in the opening of chapter 14, verse 2 reminds us that the land was to be divided not among individuals, but among the tribes. And additionally, it was to be divided not by personal request, but by lot. And since these verses, they set the stage for what follows in verses 6 through 15, many folks have been led to read Caleb's motive here with suspicion, as if he were, uh, in making the request, somehow trying to jump the gun and thwart the system, or as if, like O'Neill, Caleb were under the impression that the land of Canaan was somehow up for grabs and available to the most assertive maybe the most desperate claimant. Perhaps some of you here this morning uh, have uh, wondered similar things. 
But friends, that's not what's going on here at all. You see, our passage makes it abundantly clear that Caleb understood, unlike O'Neill, that the land was not a prize to be grasped for desperately and for selfish gain, but it was a gift. It was an inheritance to be received by those who would put their trust in the Lord. Notice the language of Caleb's actual request that comes in verse 12. We hear him say, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. Did you hear that? He asked for the land of which the Lord spoke on that day. What's he talking about? Well, if you turn back in your Bibles to, to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you'll find the well-known account of the sending out of the 12 spies that took place 40 years earlier. I'm sure you remember the story. Uh, this was a story that was a favorite to depict in the, in the flannel graph era of Sunday school. Uh, you know, with the, with the colorful cutouts of fearsome giants and the huge cluster of grapes carried on a pole between two men. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you missed out. Anyway, you remember how God commissioned Moses to send out 12 men from among the tribes of Israel, a representative from each of the tribes, and they were sent out to spy, the, spy out the land of Canaan, and both Caleb and Joshua were among them, and they were representing the tribes of Judah and Ephraim. And as the story goes, after 40 days of spying out the land, the 12 men return, and 10 of them give a bad report, remember? And they say, yes, the land is, is amazing. It's flowing with milk and honey. But guys, there's a problem. Its cities are strongholds, and it's filled with giants. We can't go up and take it. That'd be nuts. They'll devour us, is what they say. But then Caleb steps forth into the mix. And smack in the face of this bad report, we hear him say something astonishing in verse 30 that angers the other 10 to the core. And he says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And friends, it's because of this bold statement that we hear the Lord later in the account in Numbers 14, verse 24, but my servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Friends, this is the land that Caleb's asking Joshua for in our passage this morning. He's not trying to thwart the system. He's not selfishly and illegitimately trying to claim something ahead of the rest. He's simply requesting the land God himself had promised to give him and his descendants 45 years earlier. And you know, I think it's important for us to spend some time reflecting on why exactly God made his promise to Caleb. Notice again what God says in verse 24. He promises to give Caleb land. Why? Because he had a different spirit and followed him fully. Now that phrase, followed him fully, it's the same basic phrase used to describe Caleb in our passage this morning. Did you notice that? 
In fact, it's repeated three times in verses 8, 9, and 14 where we're told that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. So what does it mean that Caleb wholly followed the Lord? It's an important question for us to ask. After all, the Lord blessed Caleb with an inheritance because of it. And friends, it's vital for us to get the answer right. You see, I think oftentimes we read stories like this of heroic figures in the Bible, like of Caleb here or of David triumphing over Goliath. And we imagine that these figures are, are sort of super disciples of the Lord, that they possessed something special and innate, that they possessed an extraordinary faith that somehow qualified them to receive the Lord's blessing. And friends, when we do this, the danger for us is that we come away from these stories racked with guilt or anxiety because we feel deep down that our faith, our measly faith, doesn't match up to the faith of these heroes. And we're left feeling like we need to somehow muster up more faith, better faith, heroic faith. In fact, faith becomes the object of our faith. And we do this so that we can curry the Lord's favor and to receive the Lord's blessing. Or worse, when we see and hear these stories, we're left feeling utterly defeated and in despair. But friends, this isn't what it means to follow the Lord wholly. You see, what I think our passage this morning teaches us is that to follow the Lord, to wholly follow the Lord, simply means that we put our unreserved trust in the one who is unreservedly trustworthy. It means that we listen to the words and promises of Almighty God and take him at his word, trusting that he will accomplish all that he says. The psalmist says in Psalm 135 and six, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning more than watchmen for the morning. And friends, this is what Caleb had done 45 years earlier. When the 10 spies could only imagine death because they couldn't see past the giants who would devour them, Caleb recalled the promises of the Lord that he was with them, that he was leading them, and that he would give them the land. And so like Elisha's servant in 2 Kings 6:17, whose eyes were opened before the, Assyri the Assyrians to see the protection of the flaming heavenly hosts all around him, Caleb knew in that moment, in the midst of that bad report, he knew with certainty that these giants, however great, would be no match for the armies of the living God. And you know, this wasn't just a one-off display of faith in Caleb's past. It's what characterized his life from start to finish. In fact, it's what sustained him and gave him strength to endure 40 years of wandering wilderness delay, not due to any fault of his own, but to the faithlessness and sin of others. But you see, like the prophet Habakkuk who said in Habakkuk 2.3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. 
Caleb knew that the blessings of God are always worth waiting for. And so he waited faithfully 45 years with ears attuned to the promises of God, trusting that the Lord would make good on his promises in his time. And friends, it's this faith, this wholehearted devotion to the Lord that we see characterizing him in our passage this morning. As he stands before Joshua, even as an 85-year-old man, strong as ever, and eager to receive his promised inheritance, not, by the way, so that he could settle down comfortably and end his days in peace, but rather, as verse 12 tells us, so that he might drive out the giants in the power of the Lord. And you know, I think this portrait of faith, of what it means to wholly follow the Lord that we see in the life of Caleb, I think this is exactly what the Israelites needed to see and hear about as Joshua began to allocate the land. After all, we know from Joshua 13, the first seven verses, that although much of the land had already been conquered, Philistines and other Canaanites remained in the land whose power and idolatrous allurements would, would tempt the Israelites to turn blind eyes and deaf ears to the God they claimed to serve. And so because of this, I think the example Caleb represents as one who knew, he knew that the, the Lord's blessed inheritance is promised to those who would put their trust not in their own strength, nor in the strength of others, but solely and fully in him. I think this is precisely what the Israelites needed to hear at this very moment. Perhaps you're here today, and you're, and you're tracking with me, but you're, you're, you're unsure of the connection this has with us here and now. What I'd like to say to you is that these things that we've been talking about God's power and his presence, his promise of blessing and inheritance. Friends, these things are just as relevant today as they were 3,300 years ago. And in fact, they're held out to you and to me even now in the gospel. And they're found in the person of Jesus Christ who was and is God's word, his trustworthy word made flesh. Friends, these glorious things are found simply by listening to and trusting in the voice of Jesus who calls to us, not with a program or a litmus test. He doesn't say to us, do this, achieve this, perfect this temperament, be able to claim this nationality or race or gender, and only then will I give you my power and my presence and my promises and my blessing. No. He simply says, follow me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Perhaps you're here this morning and you know these things to be true, but the overwhelming pressures and trials of life have, have clouded your vision and you're beginning to lose sight of his power and his presence and his promises. And I want to say to you, I, first of all, I want to say to you, I know how you feel and it grieves me. And I'm sure many of us in this room would say the same. And we need to acknowledge that it's likely that all of us will experience at some time or another particularly difficult problems in life 
that will present us with a crisis of faith. After all, I think it's just as easy, is it not? It's just as easy for us as it was for the Israelites of old to tremble at the sight of giants, whatever form they might take. We're just as vulnerable, vulnerable to having our hearts melt with fear and to being overcome by the seemingly insurmountable obstacles that block our paths. Surely we all know this to be true, don't we? Brothers and sisters, in times like these, we need, like the Israelites, a reminder that the God we serve is greater than the foes we face. And I think the way forward and the way to fortify ourselves against these inevitable attacks is to rehearse with fresh ears and eyes the glorious truths and promises of the gospel. Friends, we need to train our eyes on Jesus, the conqueror, and we need to hear him say to us as he did to his disciples in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And friends, we need to hear that the Lord's age-old promises to give his people an inheritance this wasn't limited to the Israelites of old, but these are extended to you and me today. And that in Christ, as the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, 12 and 13, the Lord has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's amazing. And friends, we need to hear once again, while we patiently wait for the Lord's return, in the midst of his delay and in the present trials that we face, we need to hear the precious truth the Apostle Paul gave to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. We need to hear that we who have put our faith in Jesus have even now been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Nothing can thwart it. Brothers and sisters, to follow Jesus, to unreservedly listen to his words and believe his promises, this is what it means to wholly follow the Lord. And for those of us who have put our trust in him, there is absolutely nothing to fear. For in him, even death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you, Lord, for your word. It is a balm to our souls. Thank you for your sweet kindness. Father, thank you for your promises of blessing to those who would follow you. We ask, Lord, that that will be true of each of us by your grace. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior. Amen.